0: Blog Talk Radio.
2: Well, howdy, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show. It is Tuesday, April 21st, 2020. I'm your host, Scott Fullerton, and we are on day two of five as we expand this week to five full days of all new interviews here in the Left of Straight Show. We're doing this all the way through quarantine of Corona 2020 ends. We have so many great friends that are out of work right now and home. It's making for some great interviews. I have 10 already done. I have 10 more scheduled this week. So with all these great people to bring to you, we're going to do the show five days a week, Monday through Friday, the same time, six o'clock to eight o'clock Pacific time, nine o'clock to 11 o'clock Eastern time. So we'll be doing it for at least this week and next week. And if, uh, Depending on the quarantine status here in Ohio, maybe a longer. Um, some people could be around for a while, so we'll see how that goes. But we're going to start making this happen for you. Thanks so much for tuning in. I really, really appreciate it. Last night was Musical Monday. I had three great singers and songwriters on, starting with Kim Cameron. She's an amazing singer who also has written a musical and produced and directed an animated feature film, From her old children's book series. So that was a great conversation. Then I had Jay Mack call in. We talked about his days in the very first ever gay boy band, Echo Five, and his new solo journey with his latest single, whose music video just dropped this week. And then we finished up uh, the night with out and proud trans singer songwriter Crystal Beverly. Whose rap and sultry songs are amazing. She's also president of the Trans Entertainment Network that recruits and promotes trans artists from all over the country. So, a great night of radio last night. If you missed any episode, uh, please try to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast distributors. But you can check us out at all the ones uh, that are out there. We're on iHeartRadio, we're on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, we're on Spotify. Tune in, and so many great places. So if you're not listening to the live shows on the blog talk radio within twenty four hours they'll be up in all our streaming services. So please be on the lookout for that. What else is going on? Looks like uh, we've got some stuff to talk about in a couple minutes. We'll have our brand new two interviews for tonight. Up first is a live interview with uh, actor and production company executive Bruce Hart. And then in the second hour, I have a pre-tape interview I did this past Friday with Broadway television and reality TV star, Jay Rodriguez. So two great interviews for you today, both brand new, one live and one pre-tape for you. So that's going to be having a good time. We'll have that in just a couple minutes. Let's go into a little news here before we get to our first guest. Um, Hey, did you guys happen to see today? that Ansel Elgort, if you're not familiar, he's a very handsome actor, singer, and dancer. He has a very large, uh, we'll say, talent. <laughs> he's done a thirst trap nude on his Instagram with a caption to check out his OnlyFans account in the link in his bio. And when you go to his bio in the link, it's for a Brooklyn food bank. So a big way to go for Ansel for doing a little... Thirst trap quasi nude photo, but not really showing anything. But using all that, uh, all of his uh, followers on Instagram to help support a Brooklyn food bank. So I thought that was pretty awesome today. Also, in Instagram news, yesterday, actor J. August Richards came out as gay on Instagram. Um, you guys might remember him if you're a huge fan like I am of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He was on the spinoff Angel. He was also on Marvel's Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., which I love. And he's in a new series now called Council of Dads, which I think is an amazing show. I don't think it's gone, the regular series has started yet. They did a preview a couple weeks back. And it's a very inclusive show. Um, Jay August plays a gay married doctor with a kid. And there's also a very young trans character on the show. Uh, So amazing representation. So if you've not seen it yet, It's called Council of Dads, has a stellar cast, and the premiere episode is absolutely amazing. I saw it about three weeks ago when it was first aired, and I don't think it started airing its regular episode yet. I'll have to double-check back on that, and I will post a link on social media when I find it. And then finally, I want to talk about for just a second, we have um, out of Poland, the country, not the the city that I live here in northeast Ohio, But uh, a gay couple is sewing and distributing rainbow face masks for free, fighting both coronavirus there and homophobia. Just last week, the Parliament of Poland voted to continue considering a law that links homosexuality and pedophilia together in an attempt to ban sex education to schools there. Cities all over the country have declared themselves LGBT-free zones. Uh, prides in the country turned violent last year when they had demonstrators and uh, people attack the marchers there. But instead of being silenced, this great couple, Jacob and Dawid, um decided to spread the love. And they borrowed a sewing machine and lots of rainbow-colored cloth. Uh, the couple and their dressmaker friends made 300 masks, gave them away in the streets, in and around the city they lived to on the Baltic coast of Poland, and they said they don't want to sell them, they just want to give them away. They have leftover fabric to do more. So just a big way to go, guys, for uh, promoting tolerance and not bigotry in Poland. So very, very cool. That's all the big news I have today. We're going to go ahead and get started in just a second. Uh, I'm so excited to talk to my first guest, Mr. Bruce Hart. He'll be on in just a couple minutes. Let's go ahead and play out, though, with a little bit of our buddy, Jay Knight. This is Living for the Memories. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight radio network.
0: single second that will stand the test of time. Waiting for a moment that's already passed you by. Don't you want to know what you've been missing? What you've been Those memories tear you up inside. You break the silence. A single second that will stand the test of time. Waiting for a moment that's already passed you by. Don't you want to know what you've been missing? What you've been missing? No need to sorrow No need to feel the pain we do No need for angels Demons or favors Pray as the gods that don't come through Dream as it's
2: There you go. I'm living for the memory just to get my damn haircut, kids. I'm telling you this. All right. Welcome back to the Left of Straight show. That was our buddy Jay Knight from Buffalo, New York. Guys, my first guest tonight is making his first appearance on the Left of Straight show, and I don't know why it's taken so long to get him here. He's worked with some... uh, Our favorite friends and people have been on the show like Terry Ray and Joe Deedle, Ben Zook, Charlie Vaughn. So he's in our little circle of friends and we just need to get him as part of the Left of Straight family here. He's an amazing actor and he's also has his own production company. We have so much to talk about. So let's get him on the show here. Please welcome Mr. Bruce Hart. Bruce, how you doing, buddy?
3: Hello. Hello. I'm doing Great. Aside from the fact that I'm stuck in the house and I could probably comb my hair into a Farrah at this point. <laughs> Isn't it horrible? I was trying to make a really bad joke on uh, social today that
2: Georgia is being really stupid and opening up their hair salons and bowling alleys and stuff this Friday. I said, I'm almost tempted to drive to Georgia. Just get my hair cut and beard trimmed, then I'll self-isolate for two weeks. I just can't handle this anymore. <laughs>
3: uh,
2: it's it's just
3: bad. <laughs> uh. You know, you know the maintenance that goes into us performers in L.A., we get waxed in certain places and all this stuff, and all, <laughs> all of a sudden it's come to a screeching halt. You know, I, I, I'm pretty much a blonde as an actor, but I, I guess I'm really a brunette as I'm finding out. I'm like, oh, that was my Uh-oh. original hair color. Yeah. <laughs> it's, hum- it's humbling, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, how are you mention, holding up otherwise? You mentioned- are you doing okay? Um, handling, handling the quarantine time? Yeah, yeah, um, because, you know, I, I've got a lot of projects in the hopper, and um, I actually have a film out too, so that's kind of good. So at least you know that I'm in something new. I'm working on a, a couple projects, a new LGBT fe- feature with my brother, and it's going to be Halloween themed. And then we also do mainstream projects, so we're working on a television movie for Lifetime, so that's that's keeping us pretty busy, you know? Got to keep our hands well, Go ahead. Sorry. That Council of Dad series sounds amazing. I'm going to have to tell my agent to look into it. It is really, really
2: good. Like I said, I think the pilot aired maybe three to four weeks ago now, and I don't think it's gone to regular series yet. It probably is any week or maybe last week started. But it has. Mm. I'm going to have to look it up while we're talking here, who the main character is. It's one of my favorite actors. But the entire ensemble is amazing. And I was just – blown away by the diversity representation like i said this Jay august that yeah. i had not even knew he was gay um plays a gay doctor Amazing. married with a kid on there out and open Ooh. and then there's this um the, this kid who identifies as a boy the whole time you think he's a boy the whole time and you find out at the very end of the pilot that he is trans as a transgender boy yeah. and it's like wow okay and it's like the kid's like maybe six to eight years old and it's just a given that he's amazing. a boy the entire, till the end of the show. So I was absolutely in you know, love with it.
3: I think that's so cool. Now we're getting so much more diversity and visibility in, in films and television um, than than ever we've had in the past. And we're also seeing it in commercials, which is amazing. So much more diversity, um, interracial couples, Things that just even a few years back we wouldn't have seen. So, in a way, I like that because the you know people watch the entertainment industry through, throughout the entire country and in the world. We're still progressing, even though it seems like sometimes when you look at the political spectrum, we're not progressing. So right. I like to see that happening in the face of adversity. You know. Yeah,
2: it really is cool to see that, and like I said, it's done in such a non-issue. In the whole, that's what I like about it is when they when they treat it as yes, just that's what Shit's Creek did so well by oh, not just no, the entire no. town just accepted that they were gay. It was no big deal, and this show did the same thing. And it's Tom Everett Scott plays the lead um, for just a couple seconds. <laughs> I don't want to give too much away, but we'll say Tom Everett <laughs> Scott I think is an amazing actor. Um, but he plays the lead in it. And uh, it's it's just a great show. When you have a chance, you have to look it up. I'm sure it's, it's done by Un- NBC Universal. so get your people on that. You would be great in that show. It's an amazing show.
3: <laughs> I, I've already written it down. So I have to tell you something real quick. You know, actors, you asked what we do in quarantine, and I mentioned some of the production stuff that I'm doing, but I have a really good agent, and um, he's still getting me auditions. We are auditioning for things in the future. I did one for uh, NCIS last week and another casting director just wanted to see me, you know, to see what I can do. And what you do is you right. t- it's like this now for most auditions. You hop on camera at home and you tape something, and then you submit it. It's called self-tape. And prior to this quarantine situation, um, I was up for a role on a series, and they actually had me in. Um, I don't probably want to share any of the details, just, you know, we don't know where it's going to go yet. But it's always sure. a good sign when you tape at home. And then they call you and they're like, can you drive into the studio for uh, an in person? So I was like, right. woohoo! <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that has kind of been the trend. I know you, people are asking a lot to either send in a tape or do a, a live Zoom type interview with the casting people. Yeah. That's been trending yeah. before this whole thing happened. So uh, totally. I I've got to
3: tell you, I was, go ahead, please. Go ahead. No, go ahead, please. I was going to say, I was so resistant to that. I'm like, no, I want to go in. I want to read because, you know, I'm social, and that does help a lot. But considering how bad the traffic is, and you and I were talking about that before we were on the air uh, in Los Angeles, it's actually a godsend. You can do six auditions in one day, which I've done, and turn them all in, and you don't have to get in the car.
2: Right, right.
3: No, I think this whole – I've talked about a lot of people I've had on the show
2: the last couple weeks – that this is actually going to change the entire industry. I don't know yet if it's going to be for the better or for the worse, but it, it's had to go to the next level. Like I said, that we've been doing these um, on-camera interviews for a while from home, but now people have, have gotten so adept at screening. There's people doing stage readings at home. There's people doing the yep. I mean, music industry has had to go to live concerts because who knows when we're going to be able to get more than 50 people in a concert arena again.
0: I know, it's um, terrible, yeah.
2: It's going to be interesting. I mean, the whole industry is going to change, hopefully for the better, maybe not in some ways. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens.
3: You know, I'm an optimist. We've lived through many other things. I was telling people COVID-19 or the coronavirus is actually a lot like polio. And my parents, they've passed away, but when they were kids – the specter of polio is there. Wash your hands. Don't don't touch a door handle. You know, and eventually we came up with a, a, a treatment for that in this country. I, I'm confident there'll be a, a, a solution to that. And I have to get in a quick plug. You know, I'm on that web series that has not been around for a while called Old Dogs and New Tricks. It's been gone for a couple of years. Um, yeah, I wanted to They're talk coming about that, back. Oh, well, Maybe I should let you ask me then. <laughs> but we're going to no, do go a live reading no, start. on Zoom in a, in, a, in a few you weeks. start
2: and I'll follow no, up. Go ahead. ahead.
3: We're going to do a live reading on Zoom of some of the new episodes, and I think ninety percent of the original cast is uh, going to come back for the Zoom reading, which is very exciting. You know, I, I love those guys. That's a super friendly set. Um, that's not always true. You know, a lot of times when you work, you just work and you go home. But um, old dogs and new tricks. We all really like each other, and we all really get along. So it'll be fun, even virtually, to reconnect with everybody. I'm excited.
2: That will be kind of fun. Like I
3: said, we're seeing so many things like that. And when you look at
2: different things that have been done, because even now you have doing live shows of old, um, we're all in the family and Jeffersons. I mean, once the technology Mm -hmm. of Zoom gets even better, you can almost do those live multi-camera things from home, you would think. So like (laughs) I said, I don't (laughs) think it's good, bad, or ugly, but who knows what's going to happen down the line there. But talk about, um, talk about that series again because a lot of fun. Uh, tell me about the experience working with that uh, and, and let everyone know a little bit
3: what it was about. Which one are we talking about? About Old Dogs and New Tricks. Oh, gosh. All right. So um, I need to just backtrack a little bit. There was a pilot made of Old Dogs and New Tricks, and what I love about this show is it's about gay men over 40, okay, so that's rare. Nine times out of ten, if you're an older actor and you're on a show, it's usually about younger people. So you don't really get that much to do. I'm still hanging in, but a lot of times you're like the dad. <laughs> who says, Hey, kids, phone's for you. Don't stay out too late. But Old Dogs and New Tricks, everybody's around the same age. And um, I saw the pilot and I was like, God, this is so good it's about the entertainment industry so i wrote a note to leon acord who conceived the series and he's also one of the central characters i just said the show's great um can i help promote it what can i do and he said well let's meet for lunch so we met for lunch and the next thing i know he offers me the role of the villain character nelson van eddy who is his uh, leon's character on the show it's i'm his nemesis and it just went from there um The thing I love about the show is the guys date, they argue, they get jealous. They do all the things that real adults in that age group do, but you never see on television because when you hit a certain age, you're supposed to be this principled, respectable. That's how how we're portrayed, older older people on television. So it gives you a glimpse into an an entirely different life. And my character is – Pure gold. He's he's a throwback to the '60s. He's like if you you're probably not old enough to remember these shows, but like Petticoat Junction, there's the mean snob that shows up and causes trouble. There's always one, right? Only in this case, it's a guy and it's me. Right. So well, unfortunately, we I'm
2: old as dirt, Bruce, so I remember all those shows. And honestly, it reminds you are so good. At being the butt of a joke, it almost reminds me of live-action Wiley e. Coyote. The things you get into—it's been pretty <laughs> hilarious. But anything that can happen is going to happen to your character. It's just funny as heck.
3: I love it. There's always a setup, and I'm always mean, and it's usually done in kind of a fantasy. Like, what if this really happened? Somebody was asking me which of those I liked the most. And I rattled them all off. I I like the Marsha one where I get hit in the nose with the football Oh my nose. I love the pool fight, which spoofs dynasty. But I forgot there's a hilarious one where I'm getting married to uh, Greg LuGanis is playing my husband on the show. And one of the wedding guests barfs all over my tuxedo and it's like green (laughs) barf. I forgot all about that one. That was really fun. And they were like, surprised. I was we did a bunch of takes and they'd clean off the costume. And then he put the pea soup back in his mouth. I'm like, no, no, I don't mind doing this. It's, I don't know. It's, it's kind of fun. It's freeing, you know?
2: (laughs) I bet. No, I love those kind of things. I love, I love that where you can make fun of something, but also have fun with it in the same time. So it's, it's, it's very cool. Mm -hmm. And some of the, some of the send offs or send ups were pretty hilarious. You had some great shows with a lot of, like I said, good friends of the show. Um, I love talking about Open. Drew Drogi, we had on uh, one of our second episodes, oh, I think, back this season. Gosh. Jason Stewart's been on yeah. the show so many times. Uh, Mike Drayden's been on the show. Um, that seems like a real fun. Talk about that experience.
3: Well, Open was a, a movie that my brother and I conceived, and it was a follow up to an older movie we'd made called Homewrecker. And um, originally, we had wanted to do a sequel to Homewrecker, and then we thought. Well, no, we want to explore, you know, a couple's over 40 and being kind of set in their relationship. And what if they wanted to have an open relationship? So we decided to Peter, who played my Peter Shaliga, who played my husband in uh, Home Wrecker, he wanted to come back. So we, we came up with an entirely new set of characters. But I love the, the movie because of two things. One is it doesn't pass any judgments on folks that are open but it also underscores that the central character they really were unhappy with their marriage but not because they weren't in love it's because they'd gotten into a rut Um, and if you watch the film you'll see that play out I I just adore working with Peter and Leon Acord from uh, Old Dogs and New Tricks plays one half of um, the couple that are in the open relationship so that's really fun but we wanted to write a script where we could bring in a lot of the LGBT indie stars like Drew and Jason and Mike, Mike Dryden. Uh, who else was in that? I mean, it was just – oh, Ron Jeremy is in it. I go on a date with Ron Jeremy, believe it or not. Um, and um, the actor who was in the uh, – they burned down her She Shed commercial. Uh, Reggie Carelli oh, in right, it.
0: Yeah. Okay.
3: It's just um, – to me, the movie was just fun from start to finish. Oh, David Pebsner's in it. David Pebzner's so good. Um, He plays the man I almost have an affair with because to, basically to, to set the story up, after Peter's character and my character decide to have this open relationship, we really don't want one. So we set up <laughs> a bunch of rules. You must follow the rules. You have to follow the rules. Well, then Peter's character actually breaks the rules and has – sex with this hunky guy jake hunter who's in the in the film i love jake jake's adorable and um when my character finds out he gets upset so he he goes on speed dates his sister tells him to go on speed dates that's uh, rebecca cochen from all the eating out movies another another oh, right. wonderful yeah. friend yeah and um so i get to go on these dates with these different people like jason and and drew and um drew just cracked me up oh my god i adore drew and um, we've had a friendship for years, and when we were writing the script, I said, you know, Drew would be really good for this part, but I wonder if he would do it if he has time. And I call him up, and he goes, yeah, I'm there. He's just – so that's Drew, you know? It's, he just thinks smart. He's very funny, and he's very
2: supportive yeah. of other LGBT products. I really like Drew a lot. So, yeah, that's very
3: cool. Yeah, we we said to him, do what cool. you need to do in this scene because it's a big improv scene, and he just <laughs> – he certainly did <laughs>
2: <laughs> he is good at that, that is for sure. And then talk about the feature. Talk about salt water. You had Charlie Vaughn attached to that, he's been a great friend oh, yeah. of the show. Um, talk about doing that uh, feature. You yeah, know, he's a great guy.
3: Yeah, I, I love Charlie. Well, it kind of came about in a, a roundabout way. Um, Ronnie Kerr was, I think, the author of that, and at least he put the package together. And he put it together a couple times. I I don't know if you know this, but we get attached to packages all the time. I was attached to one about AIDS that just fell apart, and another one, and, you know. And sometimes we shoot movies that don't get released, so it just happens. Right. I have several that have not, I don't know where they are. They're in the ether. But um, <laughs> when Ronnie finally you know got the money, and he he hooked up with a DeCal, who is a distributor of LGBT films, and this was back a while, so the business model back then was a film was made you try to get a broadcast deal first like maybe it'll be on logo um it'll play the film festival circuit and then you'll push it out onto dvd so they didn't stream back then it's now streaming on prime i think so um right. he he brought charlie in as the director and ian roberts the openly gay um rugby player from australia so it was just an amazing experience. Um, I thought when we were shooting it um, that I'd kind of died and gone to heaven because we had a, I had a good <laughs> role, but I was the third lead, so I didn't have to carry the whole movie. <laughs> and, I, you know, I, of course, die in that film, so I got to have a, that particular scene, and Charlie is amazing to work with. Um, Charlie will let you do what you want, but he'll always point out, well, why don't we try it this way? Why don't we try it that way? But he won't tell you, I'm giving you a line reading or, or this, that, or the other. You know, so it's very organic. So when the film finally comes together, it's it's very natural. You know, and of course Ronnie and Ian were just just dolls. I loved working with them. Um, Ian was a riot. I would hang out with him. Um, between takes and um, he would tell me, he was uh, in a relationship, he would tell me you know, how much he missed his boyfriend and you know, make little jokes oh, and crack aw. me up. You know, it was nice. really sweet and the same with Greg Luganus when we were shooting Old Dogs Greg's the same way, Greg has a wicked sense of humor um, he, he would say things like, because we were going to jump into a pool go, I tested the water, Bruce, you're not going to be able to handle it, it's brisk
0: <laughs> oh that's hilarious <laughs> just to
3: scare me <laughs> He seems
2: like he yeah. would be fun. He seems like he has that wicked kind of sense of humor Well, where he doesn't yep. really show up, but when he comes out, it's a zinger. So uh, that, that sounds <laughs> that's very cool. I love
3: like hey, that. I'll tell you a fun fact I've never shared about Old Dogs and New Tricks and Greg Reganus. It's It's a small thing, but I have trouble bending over. I don't know why. I had an injury a while back, so I can't always, like, bend over, like, clip my toenails or tie my shoes. So I had that's shoes you. that needed to be tied. <laughs> So we're standing off to the side and Greg is tying my shoes. And the director oh, says hilarious. to me, You're asking the Olympic gold medal winner, guest star of this <laughs> show to tie your shoes, Bruce.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: oh, that's hilarious. Oh my goodness. You you gotta do what you gotta do, right? <laughs> Everybody yeah, has oh, a part no. to play. There's no small parts. <laughs>
3: And no divas either, you know, no divas. It's like, I see it's just a real happy set.
2: Well, and then talking about that, go back a little farther. Let's talk about Boys Town because that was kind of a fun series as well. How was that to to work in that series? And uh, that was a bit, but it was very cool.
3: Yeah, it was a while ago. Um, That was a television series. It was on Canadian television. So it's different than a web series. In other words, it's filmed as if it's going to have commercials and it's on a network and they would, you know, say this week on Boys Town. And I think I'm in one of them, which was like really fun. Um, Boys Mm -hmm. Town is kind of shot like a soap opera. So it's funny because uh, I was doing the early episodes of old dogs when I was also shooting Boys Town. Now they both take place in West Hollywood, right? Right. Boys Town is more skewed For the younger fellas uh, Versus Old Dogs is the older fellows. But none of them, not an inch or a frame Or whatever you want to say was filmed in West Hollywood <laughs> <laughs> It was all filmed elsewhere It was all faking it Because West Hollywood is very expensive uh, To film in because of permits And things right, like exactly. that um, I, I, I played another kind of slimy character Come to think of it um, A porno producer who seduces young boys Dear Lord I'm setting a trend here, right? <laughs> you say slimy, I say gold. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> kidding. So um, kidding. i got to get in a pl- I got to get in a plug here. Ricky Reedling is the producer of that show, Boys Town. And um, he has a deal with the same uh, folks for uh, Boys Town, and it's called Some Kind of Wonderful. I'm not in it, but he just shot the pilot, and it looks really good. And I think the series, once we're past all this stay-at-home stuff, I think it's going to go back into production, so I'm excited for him.
2: Oh, I'll be on the lookout for it. Yeah, Boys Town I actually found by accident because I had an author on the show a couple of weeks ago that writes the Boys Town's, the book series, and so I was looking up oh. research on that uh-huh. and found this Boys Town by mistake and, watched, and got hooked on
3: it. So I watched all the episodes of it,
2: so it was kind oh of fun. Really They're different.
3: It. They're different boys' towns. Um, Once, yeah, one's the novelization—I can't remember the guy—but he sent me a note, and I said, "I said, you know, that's a TV show, right?" And he goes, "What?" <laughs>
2: he didn't. I know. We talked about it. He's based out of Chicago. He made it out of Chicago, so yeah. Right. It's, but that's how I came across the series. I thought, well, wow, that's a pretty good series. I'm, I'm happy. It was a happy accident there.
3: I enjoyed it. I would have loved to have come back for season two of Boys Town, but I was already involved in another uh, series. I think I was doing. <coughs> excuse me. I think I was doing Where the Bears Are. I can't remember now. But you know, it's all about availability. And sometimes something will start immediately, and you have to be available. You know, I, I've had to cancel vacations. In fact, I, I just remembered this. <coughs> excuse me. Got a little frog in my throat. When when I was filming Where the Bears Are, I had to cancel a vacation in order to make the first couple of episodes.
0: Mm.
2: Yeah, Where the Bears Are is a very good friend of ours. Joe Dietl and Ben Zook are great friends of the show and they're out in Palm Springs now. And we had them on my yeah. I go to Palm Springs every year for a month of live shows. And so we've had them on oh, wow. a couple times and uh, they are just the, the sweetest couple and Joe is just turned into an amazing artist as far as, like, art, painting art. Yeah. And it, it's, yeah. it's great, yeah.
0: You know, kind of the oh, they called me kind of at the last minute.
3: Oh, go ahead. It was great. They called me at the last minute. No, I always cross-talked. I could talk forever. you got to shut me up. <laughs> <laughs> um They they called me at the last minute, and they said we – actually, they called somebody else and asked if they thought I would be willing to do the show. Like, I'm like, yes, I wanted to do the show forever. But anyway, they called me, and we were chit-chatting on the phone. And I said, yeah. So, uh, you know, I went out to Palm Springs, and they put me up in a motel, and um, we shot for several days. You know, you shoot a lot really fast on those shows. And uh, Peter Page was there um, from – What he, was he in Queer's Queer Folk and the Fosters? He was in, in those right, episodes. Yeah, uh-huh. And I had, a, I had a husband. I'm always married. In real life, I'm not married, but I'm always married. So <laughs> that was kind of fun. I have to tell you something, though. We shot everything. These guys are smart. Then they put it all together as a, a mini-movie, which they screened. So in other words, all the episodes put together for that season – Right. Then they went back and put, put the episodes out, and then they released it as a DVD. But then they called me up and they said, Can you sing? And we were all, all done. The show was shut down. I said, Yeah, I can sing. And you know, I started a musical theater, like every gay man, right? And um, <laughs> they said, Well, we're going to shoot a, a, a musical episode, a holiday episode, you know, Christmas holiday, whatever we're calling it. And um, they said, Are you available? I'm like, And I had another vacation scheduled, which I canceled, so I didn't tell them this. So I could go back and we did an episode kind of like they used to do on the Dick Van Dyke show where people do production numbers. It's, it was, for right. me, it was heaven. I had all these solos with my hubby and we sang a song called a list gaze. It was just a, a, totally a dream come true. So yeah, it was fun. That's uh, yeah, they are seven. marketing
2: wisdom with that series. They've been the five or so seasons they did. They got better and better every year <clears throat> with their marketing and uh, uh, it's uh, it's a great, great marketing, great series, great way they put it together. I mean, they really learned a lot in there, because they were skin of their teeth the first season, but each season got a little better, a little smarter, mm. and I really enjoy, uh, enjoy talking to them.
3: It's a really easy set. Um, I, not, that's not always the case. Um, sometimes you feel like you're serving, it's a terrible thing to say, but it's true. Sometimes you feel like you're serving a sentence, or like in one film that I did that didn't get released, one of the actors had an addiction problem. Um, mm. I, shouldn't, I don't want to say who it was because he's actually well-known, but we did this sequence where I had to walk down a spiral staircase, and they they, I get why they wanted it. They wanted my feet coming down this long, frighteningly open spiral staircase. I'd hit the last step, and then this actor would say his line, right? Well, I'd get to the last step, and he could never – he had one line. He couldn't remember it. We did uh, 14 <laughs> takes, and I finally said to the director – try to stay out of this but I said well wouldn't it be easier if you just shoot me and then we cut to him and the director's like no so we suffered through 14 takes and we finally got it so that was not oh a happy experience I, I don't want the movie wasn't released but I mean stuff like that does happen you know or you just oh you, yeah for some reason don't connect with somebody what you see on the screen that's tough. That makes sometimes for a long shoot. looks like that's chemistry for sure. it does and it doesn't really matter as long as what you get is on the screen who cares right and And talk about I mean you have your production
2: company you do a lot of work with your brother what are you looking for um when you're putting your sets together when you're looking for your actors how do you kind of try to make it as seamless as possible
3: okay so um to be clear here's how we do it with a With our production company, we put together the script. We do several readings. We'll workshop it. We'll bring in actors that we know that might be interested in doing it, or just simply, you know, our good readers. So we do that first. Then we make sure we have the money because movies don't. Even these low-budget movies, at least the ones we produce, are not that cheap. They cost probably as much as a lifetime movie. So what we did the last two times is we brought in a line producer, and this guy is kind of now our our go-to guy. A line producer manages your money for you. He'll say, you can spend this much this day, this much this day, and he'll say, these are the sets we have to rent. Then he'll say, these are the ones you can't afford, so do you know anybody (laughs) that (laughs) will let you use their living room? So here's a little, little clue, and I probably shouldn't say this, but I will. Um, nobody's ever going to let you film in their house after the first time. So if you've done it once, don't ask again. (laughs) (laughs) Because it is hell. (laughs) So just real quick um, about sets. When we shot Home Wrecker, which is the very first movie we ever produced, um, there are these houses in Los Angeles. They're in neighborhoods, and it's kind of a secret. They're called movie houses. They're uh, freestanding houses. Usually they're like mansions, like you see in Lifetime, but they're not really houses. Like, for example, there's nothing upstairs, and uh, there's just a stairway to nothing, but they have big ceilings, and so what happens is you rent them for X amount of dollars a day, and you have to discreetly park, sneak all your stuff in, your equipment, and you leave it in there, and um, you film, and that way the neighbors can't get mad because, you know, there's people disturbing, you know, whatever's going on in the neighborhood, that kind of thing. And there's also freestanding sets that are for rent. For example, in open, there's this phenomenal nightclub sequence um, with dancing. And everybody's like, where's that club? I want to go. And I'm like, well, it's a set in Hawthorne, California, in one of, <laughs> of the scariest neighborhoods I've ever been in. <laughs> oh, that's wild. It's, but it's, a, it's amazing. And some of these are very expensive, so you, you pass on those. Some of them are actually They're renting to other big productions, but they'll say, well, Thursday and Sunday, you can have it. So, you know, we'll take the sloppy seconds, and we go in and we shoot when we can. You know, it pretty much is a numbers game, though. I would say you want to, you know, make sure you stick within your budget. Um, I gave a a talk a while ago about this, and I said, you want to make a movie? That's great. But if you want to make a movie, you need to hook up with good people, like a line producer, a director. And getting back to your question about how do we do casting, sometimes we have friends that we've already written a role for. Otherwise, I always use a casting service. And the reason is, one, they're going to get you professionals and and vet them. And two, it kind of removes the stigma of not casting a friend, you know. Why didn't you give me a role well? We use the casting service, and if you're interested, please go ahead and submit. Um, the casting director is handling that. I just think it's a better way to go, you know. No, I think that's smart. Yeah, because like you said, especially when you're doing the smaller budget movies or the web
2: series and stuff, everyone does know everybody, and and it's a great way to kind of keep the hands clean and keep it uh, keep the friendships and the professional part uh, separate, which I love.
3: For me, if I see a project and a friend is producing it and, you know, I haven't been called to be in it, I completely get it because I produce. I never say, well, why wasn't I included? I never do that kind of thing, you know. But I will tell you something I do as an actor, and it it can be career suicide, but I don't care. Um, I will reach out to people if I hear about a project. And sometimes I'll get a part and sometimes I'll be humiliated. But – I feel like you have to ask. Sometimes they just haven't thought about me in in, in terms of that. And and that happened with a a D.E.T. television movie I did called Love or Laugh. I knew the producer and I reached out to him and I said, is there anything for me? I mean, I know it's all about young people. And, you know, for BET, predominantly the cast is people of color. And he goes, well, yeah, actually, Um, would you like to play a mean boss? (laughs) And I'm like, oh, my stock and trade being mean, right? So, yeah, I I came in and I shot my my two days of of stuff, and, you know, it was great. So, you know, I think think it's a tough business, and you really, really can't get your feelings hurt, you know? You know, you have to just say, I'm doing this. No, go Go ahead. ahead. Finish it up. No, I was just going to say that I understand
2: exactly where you're coming from because doing the show for so long – I've talked to a lot of great people. I made some friends um, that I have on the show often, and they know a lot of people, and I don't really know anyone here in Northeast Ohio, right? I started this kind of on a woman of prayer. I've been an entertainment guru for a long time um, as far as a follower of things, and when I lived in L.A. for 29 years, I would go to a lot of studio tapings and things like that. But I'm also I'm a little embarrassed to talk to my friends I've had on the show who know all these people to ask them to be on. And uh, I was asking my buddy um, Del Shores the other day, who done all of these sort of live oh, movies oh, and yeah. things like that. And uh, his, he's very good friends, of course, with Leslie Jordan. who's just blown up through Instagram during yeah. the whole Corona yeah. deal. So I said, I hate to ask you, but I'm doing a charity project, and do you think I might be able to get um, – Leslie to do a small little video for a little minute video he says honestly he says um, Leslie's having everyone go he's blown up so big everyone's going through his agent now and I said well I'm so sorry to ask I was embarrassed to even ask you. he says don't be because that's the way I got Judge Reinhold to be in my one of my movies (laughs)
3: by asking a friend
2: (laughs) yeah exactly
3: you know yeah hey I would I would be remiss I would be remiss if I didn't talk about my new film so I want to make sure we do that before our time is up. Um,
0: oh, no, I definitely okay?
2: have that. I want to talk about Reveal because you said it's on the film festival circuit now, isn't it? Talk about that for a second.
3: Yeah, I'm super excited. Um, I was looking around for a new project, and um, this is one where I didn't know anybody. I just cold auditioned via tape. So it's the story of a, a young gay couple And the lead is Jeff Willie, and he also wrote this, so it's kind of an amazing thing. And he's bringing his new boyfriend home to meet the family. And at the same time, the family's having a gender reveal party for one of his relatives. And um, it's a mix of things, conservative people, liberal people. And I play his uncle, Uncle Gary, and At first, I'm kind of like crazy, goofy Uncle Gary, but then as the story unfolds, you find out I'm closeted Uncle Gary because I'm an older guy who has, you know, had (laughs) trouble coming out. Yeah, so it touches on all these wonderful things. It's just a a gem of a film. And I would say the family's a little bit like Sorted Lives, you know, because – Jeff Willie's uh, uh, boyfriend played by Sean Leon um, is just appalled when he meets the family. It's like a slightly horrifying, you know, Oh, these are your relatives. Um, it played a few festivals and now of course we're on pause, but there's a bunch waiting and they already got nominated for best ensemble, which to me is amazing. And I was so thrilled because I was included in that ensemble uh, nomination and I, I really want this film to be successful because I feel like it touches on so many important subjects coming out. There's a homophobic character. Um, there's my character who's closeted. Um, the leads are an are in, interracial couple. It's just, I, I can't say enough superlatives about it. It's just, it's just an amazing film. So it's going to be working the festival. And then it'll probably, I would imagine, go on to streaming and some one of the streaming sites. That's great. I love a project like that that kind of
2: celebrates that diversity and has a little drama element to it. Um, so that's very cool. So it's going to be hitting all those festivals when things pop up again. I mean, that's another thing, too. It's going to be interesting to see how film festivals go. I mean, Outfest and everything is known. So are they going to be streaming their submissions or what's going to happen there? That could be a whole new right. thing as well this right. year, right?
3: Really yeah. Cool. And you know what? I need to I need to say a word about film festivals. Um, people are saying, no, oh, we don't need them. We've got streaming platforms. That is so not true. We need film festivals. It used to be back in the day, a film festival would get you a distributor, would get you a broadcast deal, blah, 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 blah. That doesn't happen anymore. But they are the heart and soul of the LGBT and indie film, you know, communities, and it's a gathering place, right. and we really, we really need to need – to. So, I'm fortunately in a position where I can contribute and donate, so I've been funding particularly, you know, giving donations to the ones that have been particularly kind to me and my films and um, doing all I can. I, I, I just, you know, it's it would be a terrible thing if those withered up and, and died because – Streaming is good, but it's no panacea, let me tell you. I mean, I don't think Amazon Prime does well by LGBT films whatsoever, and I can say that I don't care because, you know, I'm not associated with them right now. <laughs> um, well, you a lot need of the word of mouth. More... You need
2: a live audience to kind of see it. It's hard to gauge when you're watching yeah. it by yourself at home. You really need to have that right. audience reaction. You need to be able to discuss it afterwards. Yeah. You need to be able to – Talk to some of the actors, which a lot of film festivals bring a lot of the cast and crew to talk about it, and it's just that interaction that's so important on a, a on a film that's just coming out. That you, I think it it does a real disservice just to stream. I think you're 100 percent right on that.
3: I get so energized when I go and I meet new filmmakers, particularly young filmmakers. Their enthusiasm, their energy, it's just I I just get kind of a contact high. We were in um. Oh, where were we, Indiana, and they were screening screening episodes of Old Dogs and New Tricks. It was just only a few months ago. It's hard to believe. But there were also young filmmakers there, and, you know, I would sit down and talk to them. How are you doing this? What cameras are you using? What's the story you're telling? I mean, there's just so much, and um, I I would be saddened, and I'm hoping that this whole – I hope we have a solution to the virus soon so that we can get back to the business of, of living a little bit more normally, you know?
2: Yeah, I think it's going to take some adjustment. I think that we'll, we'll, we'll find a way to work through this, and it's going to take time. I mean, the vaccines don't come quick, but I think if we pay attention and if we use our social distancing, if we get face masks when we're in a crowd, uh, I, think, I yeah. think that we can find our way to slowly get back to normal, you know? It might be a new normal, but it will be a normal nonetheless.
3: Exactly. Exactly. And you know what? Maybe it will get us to wash our hands more,
2: huh? There you go. That would be nice, right?
3: (laughs) And we'll appreciate our
2: hair people more.
0: (laughs) Oh, oh, yeah. (laughs) Goodness (laughs) gracious. All right. Well,
2: I want to wrap up with a little bit of five questions here, a little fun segment we're doing this season, and then we'll let everyone know where they can follow along with you, and we'll we'll rehash the new projects here, but we're going to five questions with Bruce Hart. We try to talk a little bit about Ooh. fun and silly things that have to do with the show, entertainment, foodies, books, all that. What is a favorite food or, and a favorite restaurant of Mr. Bruce Hart? Where should my listeners go to if they're in Long Beach?
3: Okay. Wow. I, people tell me I don't really enjoy eating. I think it's probably true. All right. So let me just start <laughs> with this. My favorite food for a snack is cottage cheese because I'm always watching my weight. I'm not kidding you, but my favorite beverage is Jack Daniels and diet. But if I was going to go to a restaurant in Southern California, I would probably go to um, one of the more famous Mexican restaurants in Los Angeles like Casa Vega because they still have valet parking. It's a little bit of the old world charm, you know, old Hollywood. You'll see old celebrities, agents, things like that. So that right. would be my choice.
2: I miss that, man. Like I said, I haven't been there in 20 years now, but going to La Dome or going to all the different places up on sunset or going to Santa Monica to Cutters, mm-hmm. uh, I miss the good food in restaurants.
3: That is for sure. And
2: are you a reader at all? Do you have a favorite book or author to recommend to the listeners?
3: Oh, yes. I'm a prolific reader. I read five books a week, and I am not kidding you. Um, And I read a lot. I read fiction. I read trash. Um, I would like to refer you to a book called The Stylist by Rosie Nixon. She's a British author. It's about a young woman who hooks up with a stylist and comes to Los Angeles to help her prep for the various awards ceremonies. And the stylist, of course, is crazy. She's kind of like Miranda Priestly in Double Wars Prada, but it's nothing like Double Wars Prada. It's a very good story. A lot of really cool characters. There's two books. There's the stylist and there's a sequel. The sequel's not very good, but, um, if you want to read a really fun, a spare book, I would say read The Stylist. And quite frankly, Escapist Fair right now is what it's all about.
2: <laughs> there you go. I agree. Very nice. All right, The
3: Stylist listeners.
2: And you're a producer. What are you looking for these days? What story still needs to
3: be told or hasn't been told yet? What would you like to see out well, there? Well, okay. See, I always have an answer to everything. I'm a huge, huge um, – fan of the older uh, television movies, you know, which were like narratives that told a story, either a comedy or a drama. I feel like there's so many LGBT stories that haven't been told that are kind of more tilted towards the mainstream. And I don't think that we've really done a good gay occult movie. I've seen some, and I don't mean to malign them, but I don't think we're there yet. So in terms of LGBT, I would love to do something like that. And that is a little bit of a plug because we actually have a script in development for that. Um, I have tons of scripts, but I would say that that's the one that's at the forefront. And I actually think the one that we have conceived could have a mainstream crossover just because of – I don't want to reveal anything here, but I think it will have more of a crossover appeal both for LGBT as well as a mainstream audience. So more, more to come there on that. There you go.
2: Great. I love a little teaser there. And we'll have to have you back when that comes more to fruition. And who is someone out there that you are dying to co-star with? Who do you like to play against as an actor?
3: Wow. Now that's a tough one, man. Um, Let me give that some thought. Uh, I'd love to work with Ricky Martin. Um, I I think he's a... kind of an unsung hero when it comes to acting. I think Ricky Martin's, um, uh, uh, He's a. he's got more there than he's been allowed to, to show yet. He was in the, what was that, that film they did recently? It was about Versace. He was very good in yeah, that. Yeah, Johnny, yeah. Mm-hmm. That was a so I think I'm going to go with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah they got part a good of choice. it here in my, my home city, yeah, yeah. All right. And you talked about, you
2: like the older things. I mean, one of my favorite things on your Facebook recently was you showcased Elton John and Kiki D. Don't go breaking my heart. That was the very first 45 Aww. I ever owned with Island Girl on the flip side. Um, so I love that kind of old music. Um, talk about, you're getting ready. You're about to be um, stuck on a deserted Island, but you're allowed to save one seventies album and you talked about it already, but, you're able to bring mixes for one cocktail and one movie, what would you want to bring with you on the desert island?
3: <laughs> oh, you're just going to think I'm an idiot. But, I, of course, Jack Daniels and Diet Coke, of course, because it's my go-to. <laughs> I think I'd probably <laughs> want to have – I'd probably want to have Thank God It's Friday. <laughs> it's just full oh of really my great goodness, music, dancing. <laughs> right? But yeah. It's – um. I feel like it's. I wish that it would make a comeback. You know, it's like it's better than what Xanadu and better than Saturday Night Fever, and it's got Donna Summer is in it. You know, it's 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 kind You're of a, right. an amazing thing. And I know I know some folks don't like Donna Summer, but um, in that time period, she was great. You know, there you and, go. And she's cast, so we, we won't talk about the other stuff. Yeah.
2: <laughs> right. 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 All right. Well, thanks for playing five questions there, Mr. Bruce Hart. I appreciate that. Uh, before we go, let everyone know where they can find you on social media and uh, where they should be on the lookout for these projects coming out or where they can find some of your other projects.
3: I think they're streaming oh, in a lot of good
0: places.
3: Um, yeah, a bunch of different places, actually. First off, um, if you want to watch anything that I've produced, I would strongly urge you to go to Gay Binge TV. all run together. It's an app. If you have a smart TV, you can just watch it right on your TV, or you can watch it on any other type of device that streams. Gay Binge TV has one of the best catalogs of gay films, very diverse, young, old dramas, comedies, episodic. So I would suggest you go there. Um, Just about everything else I've ever been in, you know, stuff I didn't produce is on Amazon Prime. Um, So if you, you, and I'm Bruce L. Hart. So Bruce L. Hart, you can find it there. If you want to follow me on social media... I'm just Bruce Hart on Facebook and on um, Instagram. I'm Bruce three eight five, and then also on Twitter, I'm I'm Bruce L Hart. And I'm way more political on Twitter, so if you're not into that, don't don't follow me. (laughs) Just saying. I didn't I didn't bring political
2: up there, but I do
3: like a good political
2: conversation. So we're gonna have to have you back. I do a couple different types of shows. I'm gonna have to have you talk. Politics with me sometime because we're very much on the same page, and I think we could have a great discussion oh, sure. soon on yeah. that. That would be fun. Yeah, maybe after November, right? <laughs> there, you, uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully, as long as it goes right, then I'll, I'll be too depressed for a month to talk about anything. Well, Bruce Hart, we'll, it has we'll been have to have a you one of our pleasure
3: I would, I would. Oh love my gosh, that. I had so much fun. I have to tell you, I've always wanted to do your show, so I'm thrilled to be on today. Yeah, we should have you on as a special guest on one, in one of our films. Be fun.
2: I would love that. I, I try to get out to L.A. often, and uh, that would be a big treat for me. I appreciate that. Thank you, my friend.
3: Thank you for having me on. We'll talk soon.
2: All right. Stay on the line for me. That's Bruce Hart, everybody. Please check out all of his great works. Follow him on the social. We're going to go ahead and take a little break here and play – uh, a little Oh Hot Damn, little line dance music, so get your boot scootin' booty on here, by Cameron Hawthorne, who's on just a couple weeks. And we're going to follow that up with an interview with Jay Rodriguez from Broadway and television and uh, live action TV, all that fun stuff. So you're listening to Left and Straight Show right here on the Left and Straight Radio Network. We'll talk to you the other side. Bye-bye. was our buddy Cameron Hawthorne with his newest single, Oh Hot Damn. If you're a line dancer, I hope you were shaking your uh, thing there. Guys, my next guest has been, I've been a fan of his forever. He started performing at a very young age, performed the iconic role of Angel in the musical Rent, which you all know is my absolute favorite. He came to everyone's attention as one of the Fab Five in the original Broadway show, Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. And since then, he's parlayed his musical, acting, and hosting talents into an array of amazing theater, television, and radio. He's appeared in many of my favorite shows, and yours as well, I'm sure. So let's welcome to the show for the very first time, Mr. Jay Rodriguez. Jay, how you doing, buddy?
1: Yay, I'm good. And first of all, you just gave me an epic idea in your introduction. You said I was in the the, uh, culturally groundbreaking musical, Queer Eye. And frankly, from your lips to God's ear, maybe I'll start writing it in quarantine.
2: I didn't even hear myself say that, but that would be an amazing show, wouldn't it?
1: You said you said the, the, musical, the world came to know me at the musical Queer Eye, and I was like, actually, there's a lot of fun to be had with that.
2: I was trying to say original, and I don't know how to speak, but I want producer credit all of a sudden. I'm liking this idea.
0: Very cool. I got it. Yeah,
2: you got it. No worries. <laughs> How's it going? Amazing. Well, good to have you on, buddy. How is everything in beautiful downtown LA, and how are you holding up through Corona 2020? You doing good? Yeah, you know, it's
1: been an interesting journey um, for uh, for me. Um, I kind of, uh, you know, I was doing, I was working in the radio space, uh, as you know, for um, a radio station for about a year and a half, and I left in December. And um, I finished out my contract and decided that it was too much to handle with, you know, working in television and really not being able to give my all because the career was in radio was so encompassing. It was uh, six to seven hours of my day, and I would leave at 11.30 a.m., but then I had a whole dude. Day it was four of, in the
2: morning or something. You were getting up. I don't know yeah, how you were doing so, it, man.
1: I don't know either. <laughs> and so, what a time to leave a steady job. But I, I. So it was an interesting thing because I knew I was starting the new year fresh, and thankfully I booked the rookie on on ABC, which just aired two weeks ago. And then I um, started shooting a mini series for HBO called Equal, that is a four part mini series about unsung queer heroes of the 1960s. We got through two. Um, parts of the miniseries uh, before Corona shut everything down. And so everyone's future, all gig employees like myself that jump from thing to thing, um, including Nightlife, uh, are everyone's just been furloughed or just, uh, you know, uh, fired or, you know, just let go. And it's, so it's been a really scary time, namely for a lot of 1099 employees in that space who really don't have uh, eligibility for any kind of assistance.
2: Right. Well, it it, it's, it is tough. I mean, you you've done so many great projects, and everyone thinks that everyone that's an actual working actor in Hollywood is living yeah. in Beverly Hills and stuff. But it's a it's a tough gig out there. When you're working job to job, you depend on those jobs, right? I'm yeah, and I'm getting a little
1: anxious. We are going to do a queer eye thing, like a um like a a virtual thing. I think with all ten of us. Uh, that's that's being talked about, and I'm I'm oh, nice. <laughs> a little anxious about it because I know that my journey. Gen- me and my experience is very different than the nine other Queer Eye guys that exist here in the States. And, you know, um, it was a different time in 2003 when I did the show to 2006. Um, You know, Billy Porter really sums it up best. There was a real time in our history that there was a certain kind of gay that was accepted. And it was really tricky for corporations to kind of um, be as liberal with endorsements if you were outside that type, which I was. And so, um, you know, was a, a period of, when I left queer. Eye, it was a very different journey for me, and I have really thrived in being able to be a chameleon and bounce from, you know, host to TV to scripted to sitcoms to multicam to playing murders. But you know, those opportunities are, are few and far between. And you really are chipmunking your money as a as a gig employee, and you're you're trying to be fiscally responsible. But there's so many things that come and go so quickly um, that it becomes a real a real kind of anxious time, and so. You know, I I am outside of the queer eye uh, financial world that they uh I'm assuming there and I'm I'm anxious to speak with them and share my experience uh being part of the ten uh guys who will be on that show. Um I'm curious to see, you know, what'll come with that. But yeah, you're right. For so many of us you're lucky if you get a couple of guest stars a year and, and that salary is about under ten thousand dollars. So if you get four, you've made forty thousand dollars that year. Which optics would say if you see someone on television, they're rich. And it's just not the case. And so you really find other things. For me, it happens to be touring with my cabaret show and, and staying active in nightlife, which I love. But obviously, those draw right. crowds, and, and we can't be around each other in those kind of spaces
2: for now. Yeah, 40000 might pay your rent for a year in L.A. That's a whole different
1: thing altogether. <laughs> yeah.
2: Um,
0: yeah,
1: I was telling you the want... radio show, and I couldn't even, with what I made on the radio show, there would no be, I mean, thank God I'm rent controlled and business place uh, for a decade, but there would have been no way for to just have the radio show and be able to live in Los Angeles um certainly right, not right. In, you know in the modest apartment I live in
2: and the location you live in yeah no right, exactly well, I want to jump back into querying in a second I have just a couple of questions on that, but I want to start. Give everyone, I mean, if anyone's been sitting under a rock for the last 20 yeah. years here, give a little background about where you grew up. I mean, you were from, yeah. you went to a performing art school early, I believe. Talk about oh, what yeah. kind of a kid were you and what you first wanted yeah. to be when you grew up. You know, I, I grew up in a,
1: um, a single parent home. Mom had me young. She moved back in with her mother, who got remarried the year I was born. So anyways, many ways, my grandmother just continued raising my mother and then just added me to the fold. Mom and I were raised more like siblings. And when I was about 12 and 13, uh, we'd been sharing a bedroom since the time I was like 12, we got our own place together and, you know, we, we just weren't um, the traditional mother and son. We were functioning more like roommates. And I, um, my mom got very religious uh, to instill some kind of structure and some ability in our lives. Um, And, um, and so I really started performing because I found these outlets in our churches that, that allowed me to express myself in that way. And then I did theater when I was 13. And um, when I was 16, my grades as a, as a kid were were good. I was you know like a B student. I got along with adults really well. I understood the the adult experience i I was a very conservative household i wasn't allowed to do sleepovers and and such so my mom 's friends were my friends um, and so it kind of I set think. me up to communicate uh, with adults differently when I was sixteen. I found out there was vocational schools I could go to. You could go to carpentry school and take half classes and and learn a trade and i where I come from Long Island, most of my uncles are cabinet makers, they own their own businesses. Um, you basically get married, you start a family and you, and you go into the family business. and that was the path. And I knew that I was different than many people in my family. I, I knew that I uh, felt different feelings. I wasn't you know uh, gonna marry a woman. And, and I didn't even have to be honest, a, a real strong sense of of what gay was we didn't have the internet was new when I was a kid so by the time you, you were trying to download a picture of a naked person it took 46 minutes to get to the nipple and you're like that's good <laughs> enough I got Carson Daly on the TRL in the other room I gotta go so you know I didn't have a visual depiction of the I was feeling and it wasn't until I got rent um, that I really was around other queer people so you can imagine when I started going to performance high school when I got accepted in Long Island, I met a full grab bag of people that were wildly different than my own experience growing up in church, and they really showed me the the world at large through music theater terms, which allowed me to then kind of be a different person with everything I would do or every song. And I really fell in love with it, but more importantly, I fell in love with go through the traditional channels, go to performing arts school, audition for college, go to music musical theater school, become a waiter, um, check backstage magazine for. To try to get an agent and that was my journey to be honest I went to former arts school i was uh i stand out i think because I was a strong vocalist and I happened to be latinx and and there i was a minority in terms of i think I was one of the only people of color in my entire uh class in musical theater performing arts high school mm-hmm. and um one of the people who graduated before me was on um she was on the Urkel. I can't remember Is it uh uh family matters. And she said, right. "I have an agent in New York. I'm with Abrams. It's a big agency. I've never referred them to anyone, but I think you'd be so great with them. Could I introduce you?" She did. I went in for a meeting, and I'm 18. I don't know what an agent meeting is supposed to be. I went in like an oversized <laughs> suit that my uncle lent me took the train into Manhattan, I looked like a crazy person, I looked maybe 14, I was 18 at the time, or 17, and I met with this woman, she gave me a little audition material, I read the scene for her, and and then she was like, you know, can you do accents, I said sure, I tried some, and then she was like, can you sing, and I was like, can I sing, Who? You? yes, of course, and Rent had
0: just,
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I sang a long story for and she was so blown away. She was like, if I sent you right now, I have other clients going in today. Someone just, one of my clients can't make an audition. If I swap you out for that appointment, are you prepared right now to go in? Let me tell you something. I said, I said, i no, the score. score. Uh, which character? You? I can play all of them. So I went in and I t- wrapped the, I knew I was going in for Angel. She let me that, know that. I wrapped the blazer around my waist, almost like a I took the button-up shirt, unbuttoned a couple buttons, put the tie on the inside of the shirt to kind of make it a little fashion-y. And then this is honestly with someone who had no understanding. And then I went to Dwayne Reed and got clear lip gloss um, that I wore because I didn't want to be coming That's home amazing. with some kind of makeup in my pocket. <laughs> so I go to the audition, casting directors associate gives me a callback on the spot. The next day, the agency signs me. So now I'm feeling like, oh, things are moving up, but at this point, I you know know that I, my teachers in school had gotten me, they paid for my, uh, you know, uh, basically fees to apply for a college because my mom said she would not support anything in the arts because it, was, it would only make me more that way. That way we had not oh, wow. had a discussion okay. of what that way represented. So I go through right. my audition process, casting director meets me and he's like where have you been and I was like I haven't I never had another, uh, an agent he's like I would cast you without an agent and then I showed him a handwritten note that I had ha- written and I included my credits I still have the note to this day and it was like dear Mr. Bernard Telsey I'm an actor on Long Island I've done some you know and I put, put pictures of myself outside the theater I showed it to him he's like you I would have I would have answered this and I included a cassette. Tape of me singing uh, songs to the show, <laughs> and then I never mailed it because I was too fearful. And so I ended up ta- getting the the role of Angel, and then I thought it was for Broadway. And then they said we're gonna we're gonna actually send you to Canada to open the first international company, um, just to get your your feet wet. You know, you don't have a Broadway experience. I opened that company with true Broadway veterans. Uh, did it for a year, and then moved to Broadway. Did it for four years. And to be honest. I thought was going to be my gig. I thought that was – I mean, I, I left, and I used Rent as a waiter gig. I would do a soap, I'd come back. I'd do a movie, I'd come back to Rent. would do a play off-Broadway, I'd come back to Rent.
0: Gotcha. And so Rent
1: is my safety blanket for half a decade of my life, and it was that show that really taught me compassion for others, started my um, – You know, philanthropy, when it comes to uh, my activism for HIV AIDS related causes, because I played a positive character, and it really opened up the world at large to be able to understand that performing wasn't just a hobby that could actually be a profession and that kind of set my, my, my life into
2: motion. That is amazing. And I did get to see you in Toronto. And Rent Rent has happened to be one of my all-time favorite. I've seen about 16 different productions. I never saw you on Broadway. I have seen about five or six times on Broadway. I saw you Fantastic. in Toronto. I've seen a lot of the traveling shows. But uh, yeah. great job on you, my friend. And, yeah, it's such an iconic wow. role. I think that, mm-hmm. that you did an amazing job, my friend. That's a great story. Yeah, wow. it was really fun. I think when you have meant,
1: I think when you come and open, and obviously I did. I remember not knowing anything. Any of The references that the kids were listening to in the show, the adults. I only really grew up with Christian, you know, like, you know, contemporary music. I didn't know mainstream artists. I didn't have the references that they had. So it was really an education on life that the cast of Rent really
2: gave me. Well, that is so. And you are such a great storyteller. I want to go into a second. Last night you did an amazing live stream um, for – the um digital drag fest going on and you yeah. you tell some great stories you talked about your first kiss and everything you made yeah. some great money for a worthy cause there talk about that for a second let's talk about last night's show um and talk about the whole uh help west hollywood gig for a second
1: yes yeah, so um Many of the people who work in nightlife, when you go to a bar, um, let's talk about, you know, I'll talk about specifically West Hollywood, the gay bars and the LGBTQ spaces that are kind of the hub of West Hollywood. You know, we see many people of all different ages working on the staff and backgrounds. You never know what people are are up to when they're not there. Many people are – I'll talk about Revolver, for instance, the bar that I – um, host the night at or used to, um, you know, several of our employees have gotten, you know, their masters while working there, or they have, um, you know, put themselves through different kinds of schooling, and because of that, their lifestyles are very hand-to-mouth, um, and the consistency of tips is how they really make their basic, uh, how they get their basic needs met. With all of that going away, it's really, really tricky for them to really survive right now. Um, you talk about barbacks and everyone else who um, was really just trying to um, have this job take care of their basic needs while they pursue other things, and now they're completely furloughed uh, with no hopes of reopening and making what they used to make. You know, many people don't even qualify for unemployment. So the West Hollywood community uh, has come together, and they have something called We Night. 19. It's benefiting the laid off nightlife scene of the workers of West Hollywood. It's Friday, April 10th uh, through this Sunday, April 19th. And if people want more information about how you can help, then go to healthyho.com. All the information there. There's going to be a bunch of live streaming shows you can watch for free. And if you are so uh, inclined and are able at this moment, to donate, there will be pinned um, tweets and pinned posts where you'll have links where you can donate or just people's Venmo or whatever. Um, They're trying to make basically uh, give people something so that they're not just uh, donating blankly, but they're getting a level of entertainment and feeling connected to the people who are really there for us. You know, the time you go to a happy hour downloading what happened to a bartender who's making you feel better about, you know, your experience or the times where maybe you were in the nightlife scene because you didn't have spaces where you lived. And that was your only outlet to be seen and be visible around those who were like-minded with you. And so it's our way right. of giving back, you know, and I told them, I was like, this is what I'm doing for free. The rest of them, that's I'm gonna I'm going to have to figure out my online shows to, <laughs> uh, to to pay for my bills now, but I have to tell you what was interesting about yesterday's streaming shows for me it was an opportunity to dig deep for myself as a creator. Um, I, you know, I tried to have different vignettes with all within my apartment costumes. Really try to give people um, a sense that I was taking some, them somewhere whimsical, and um, Dude, and it was and a that I think
2: show. it was amazing. yeah through the show, I loved it. Yes, so that's that's
1: that's part of what's shaken me up during this time is, is not getting um, resting on my laurels just because I am all. Don't just set up a camera and, and click stream and just, go, you know, give people something to be excited uh, for, because as a performer, it only helps you just, you know, broaden um, your own skills. And so for me, it was, it was a really, really lovely experience. And I love the platform stage it because it really, really did allow me to, um, connect with my fans in real time. Um, and that was right. really, really helpful. I loved it. Yeah.
2: Very cool. Well, it was an amazing show and I definitely appreciate you doing that. I'm trying to keep myself a small way involved. I feel very connected to you guys there. I brought my show to LA every year and I saw you do yeah. your karaoke and revolver and brought, um, yeah. we did our a little party next door over at Mickey's and
3: it yeah. really. I mean,
2: as much as we can be little, uh, bitchy queens, and, and so there really is the a close-knit community. You try to take care of one another there, and I really 100%. love that about it. So And, you know, That's and different. I don't know
1: if you found this too. I'm curious to pick your brain about this. It's the first time we're really talking about, in my opinion, in an honest and real way without ego or shame, money. Mm. And that is a really yeah. difficult thing to talk about because, you know, we live in this city where I'm a part of an industry that is built on Fake sets, smokes, and mirrors, um, everything built on a dime to try to create an illusion, fantasy, and sometimes that bleeds into people's uh, everyday life where they feel they need to live up to that. So to stay in a state right. of, of silence when you personally are hurting based on shame, admitting that you're struggling, is something that we're trying to alleviate and take away the shame and let people know that we are all in this together. And there's no shame in telling people that for now, uh, you know, you'd be willing to work. You just can't. Um, and so, um, you know, I think it's it's the one thing that's that's uniting us. Have you found that to be true with the people you look into? That it's, you know, very it's, much
2: it's, so. It's a, yeah, I love the way you said that too, because it really is. Um, there is this whole thing about money and and L.A. West Coast versus East Coast, and it, everyone's together now, especially in the L.G.B.T. community, especially in the entertainment community. And I'm sure you feel the same way. This is going to have a lot of ramifications for a long time to come. Um, We're going to see streaming events. We're not going to be able to get to these big stadiums for a while. We're not going to be able to get uh, to get that same revenue streams we had before. So you need to learn this new media. And there's different people yeah. doing uh, live streamings once a week now. And it's just yeah. a whole new concept. It's leveled the field a lot, too,
0: I think, right? Yeah,
1: I, you know, for me, it really, I worry about the my Broadway friends. I remember the hustle of living in New York, and I was thankful for that half a decade of solid work. But, you know, even with that solid work, I, I lived pretty modestly. I lived well, but modestly, and because New York City is so incredibly expensive. And when I think about these, um, the, these Broadway performers, who that is their primary skill set, not being able to entertain to the masses for an undisclosed amount of time. I don't know how we social distance in Broadway theaters, or even if we can
2: Right, right. I want to go off topic for just a second, because I want to talk about that. The New York theater scene is such a close-knit community to begin with, and you were there first, and then you went to L.A., and L.A. is a little more on your own, and that's why I'm kind of hoping this is going to change that. But how did you adapt going from New York to L.A.? from that theater scene. It's such a close-knit community in New York uh, where you're actually supporting each other. Even though you're going out for the same jobs and stuff, you support each yeah. other. And LA is a little more cutthroat. How do you adjust to that?
1: Yeah, so I had this weird veil of um, privilege. And, I'm, gonna, and I'm, I'm really comfortable using that word because I think we all have a certain level of, of privilege, whether it's being able-bodied or, or being able to uh, work or or where it is, and I came with sure. the privilege of having been on a culturally brown, groundbreaking show that was on the tip of everyone's tongue when I moved here. You know, as the guy who just came up here, so gotcha. there was a lot of people who were really artificial, and I had to cut through the BS to find the authentic folks. And you know, like equals like attracts like, and so what I found about getting invited by the squeaky wheels that were giving me attention here, invited to different events and or even go out to nightlife. I remember waiting online just for an ID check at the abbey my first times i'd been there and a new friend that i had just met who was part of like you know at the time the elite squad of kids that was running around i was so flattered i didn't know about them they met me and we <laughs> i went to wait on the line like why can't wait just like get us in use your poll and i was like so just dis- i was so disgusted by that because i'd never operated that way that for oh, me it 's really easy for me to cut through the b s and find people that were authentic and find my tribe and I think you can you can find that in any city, you know even in New York as, as um, inclusive as it was, there certainly are cliques there as well, but here in Los Angeles, I think it 's really about finding your family of choice and and, and I was very vocal mm. um, and held well people to, uh, accountable to the way that they treated others um, because I am an other in many different instances. And so I was never ever comfortable. And if you look at the, the, the scope of the people I hang out with are all shapes and sizes of all skin colors and different backgrounds. And um, I don't subscribe to the one type fits all, and we should only elevate one type of person. So when it came to going from New York to LA, I let that be known very quick run that around me. So that was kind of helpful that that's not to say that I didn't fall uh, at times and feel inadequate or insecure because certain spaces felt um, uncomfortable to be in, or I didn't feel seen. I use that word a lot. My best friend um, who just recently tested positive for Corona and, and, is currently in the midst of it. Um, he's a fantastic guy, but he reads like a Ken doll visually. He doesn't behave like one or he's not a, a jerk, but you would assume by looking at him. And so, When I hang in the circles that that he feels comfortable in, they're not always the circles that I feel comfortable in. But I think as long as you maintain your own integrity and your own um, personality and hold on to your values and don't code to be around other people just to fit in with them, I think it's our uniqueness. That people are attracted to when we talk about being authentic immediately i think about pop culture icons that wouldn't have uh gotten the success that they have gotten maybe in the early 2000s people like lizzo uh, probably would have been told to lose weight back then even it wouldn't have right. impeded on her talent you look at people like cardi b who maybe come across as unpolished but are really effective in terms of uh, getting people engaged politically we like people to be authentic the minute you're fake Society just doesn't take to them. And if I can add one more, I will say my first uh, did the uh, Jay Leno show, uh, I met Ross Matthews. And I thought, oh, my God, what is society going to think of this guy? You know, he's kind of flamboyant. He's got really um, recognizable voice that a lot of people would maybe make fun of. But no, he never changed who he was and became and is very successful, works all the time because people like people who do not make apologies for themselves.
2: Very well said. I like that a lot. Great answer to that. Well, you did bring up Queer eyes, so I wanted to go a little bit. I don't want to talk too much about it because I don't want you to be defined by that because I know you're (laughs) so much more than that. But I do want to talk about, I mean, you were relatively new to coming out back then, and now you're a 20-year-old guy. You're 10 years younger than everyone else, being the culture guy of all things. Was that intimidating at all? Did you feel that you had a little cultural savvy in your background? Or where did that advice come from to give to all these people you were working with?
1: Yeah, so I knew that I was the third culture guy to be on the job in terms of this American production. They had done a pilot, didn't keep the pilot guy. Shot two episodes for Bravo, didn't keep him. So I knew that they were struggling to identify what the role of culture guy really meant. In 2003, Bravo and Scout Productions wanted, or as it was relayed to me, a visual before and after. Now, here's what I had working in my fur. Growing up in, a, in an evangelical home, every weekend we fed the homeless. I mean sitting Indian style, sitting with someone who was displaced, having actual oh, awesome. conversations with homeless people um, that lived in, our lo- in my local community. So I was already a part of a different kind of space uh, than, than I went to – I we had moved when I was 16 to a more affluent, less diverse neighborhood. So my high school, I was ethnic. i never heard of ethnic before, but I was ethnic in this district. And the kind of shift that I noticed kind of made my ears perk up and made me really uh, – help educate people about people who were other. Panta moving to Toronto, living in another country, um, Canada for a year, as similar as there are to the States, there's many subtle differences that I was taught, whether it was being around French Canadians or people who are Quebecois, or being around, you know, people in our show who are Chinese Jamaican. There's a massive Chinese Jamaican community in Toronto as well. So the arts and culture that existed in Toronto also helped kind of propel me um, into what made me appropriate for queer. But moreover, moving New York, teen, and being on my own and navigating a life as a young man in that city, being queer, being brown, being somewhat femme-presenting, you know, I had a list of obstacles that I had to constantly overcome for people to actually see me, hear me, not what the idea of me was as I came toward them. And when it comes to the other gentlemen on the show, many of them um, came from financially and, you know, more traditional homes where um, they were supported and had the opportunities uh, that weren't afforded to me. So I came at it from a more urban perspective, um, you know, someone like myself that was more common sense. When you compare our show, the original Queer Eye, to the new Queer Eye, it's produced by a different production company. While Scout Productions on high produce both. The... Day functions of the new Queer Eye are outsourced by a different production company, many of which grew up with my version. Our version was focused on an aspirational lifestyle, meaning things I couldn't probably really afford or brands I'd never heard of. This new Queer Eye is accessible because that's where we've come as a society. We have things like H&M and Zara now. You can Find things that look like Dior, but you don't have to pay Dior prices. On our show, we were wearing Dior. So what I brought in was the accessible, street smart, common sense, no nonsense, everyday man relatable conversations that I could speak to someone on their level versus saying, I know better than you. Here, listen to me, wear this, let me make you a mannequin. That was never my intention. And I think that's what I brought right. into. The, the space, kind of more youthful, accessible, common sense, direct, real street smart, savvy personality. And once I found that to be the case, really it took the first season for me to be like, oh, wait a minute. Like, it took me being parodied on SNL and Mad TV when Elijah Wood from the Lord of the Rings franchise played me, and we made over Santa Claus, or rather, our you know, the SNL version of us did. And he came to me, and he taught Santa eye contact, and Santa was like, okay, I got it. What else? And he looked at the camera, and Elijah <laughs> Wood said directly to camera, uh, he's like, tennis like, is there anything else? He's like, nope, Elijah, direct to camera. That's about all I ever do. And then MAD TV was for Michael Jackson, and when my character entered the room, um, they pushed me out of the room and said, Jay, we're shooting in here, highlighting you're invaluable, highlighting you do fit on this show and you do, are not needed. So that made me really dig in deep to prove to them that I was, because many times right. the journey and problem press really well new show is not about a visual tangible before and after it's setting someone on the right journey, placing them on the right path, leading them to water, not chugging, shoving water down their throat. So the camera saw them do something funny. Um, and so that's why And Cromwell and I've had a very long, we actually locked ourselves in the bathroom prior to isolation. He had a gathering before he went to shoot in um, where the, wherever they're shooting Kansas city, I believe. Um, and we, right. we were at a party. We had to lock ourselves in the bathroom just to be able to connect to experiences um and how they differed and how they were the same and 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 him being a man in his 30s how he was able to really put his foot down about certain things and say i am going to wear a fitted cap i understand that you think that it looks um not classy but this is a part of uh, my aesthetic and it doesn't mean that i'm uneducated or uncouth because i choose to wear a fitted cap um, and so there's different um subtle nuances that exist between the two shows but basically, it was you know governed in a different way, so me being young me be, me coming from a um, not a privileged socioeconomic background really helped um, me be relatable to the millions of Americans and people all over the world who are watching and saying, "I will never be able to compare or compete or be able to make my home look this way or myself look this way because I can't afford
2: it." Gotcha. And that was my second follow-up question. I mean, being a little bit older now and living and knowing a little bit more about your queer history and everything, and now that they actually work on LGBTQ people on the new version of the show, do you think you might go into that position now maybe a little different as opposed to back in the day? Well, or what would you like to see happen? Do you want to hear something, do you want to hear something crazy, Scott? I actually
1: – I we actually, on our version – over a gay guy we made over a trans man and when i went into david collins's office about maybe a year and change ago to pick up some of the old queer eye books we're getting rid of he said oh this is so exciting we're making over our first trans guy and i was like are you kidding i was like please don't erase miles from brooklyn because we were the first to make over a trans man in 2004 so let's give credit where credit is due and i'm really how do i not remember
2: that wow
1: Right, right. And, you know, so we did, you know, 100 episodes. And so I don't expect everyone to remember every single thing about every episode, but it's really important and vital, um, especially, you know, people who, you know, are the executive producers of Scott Productions were not part of our everyday on set with us or even in the same city with us for, I would say, at least 80 of the um, 100 episodes we did. So while they may have received emails and gotten downloaded from our showrunner, I don't remember really having formative um, time with sets, so I don't expect them to remember our, our makeover candidates. But, you know, with the new Queer Eye and all that they are doing, of course, I don't think it's just, I don't think that um, being scared to, to step outside of what you know is a, is a straight only issue. I think we all face it. And I think one of the things I liked about Queer Eye that we started was uh, the idea of a make better. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. And while we had the fun, good-natured ribbing and were able to flip the switch, flip the table and give them some good locker room razzing about what we comedically deemed their inadequacies, for us, it was always a make better. You're perfect. I want you to see what I see in you. And here's 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 some small changes that you may never. Never known existed that I'm bringing to your attention, and I think these will work for you. If they don't, they don't. But one of the best things about being on that show and validating is Oprah put us out of her 25... Um, she had like a box series of her favorite episodes of everything. She gave us favorite makeover because she understood that makeovers... She hated makeovers because no one ever sticks to them. But of our show, many of the guys kept it because it's about setting someone on a right path that's right for them in um, starting with their desires, not your desires them but it's instead hey you want this did you know that this was around this might make your life a little easier that is the right energy and that's the right
2: tone i think yeah, yeah. no i agree 100 percent and i i feel a little bad that i didn't know that before but that is amazing that uh you had that going on because like i said i don't remember every single episode but that is very, See? very that's good. what i'm here for <laughs> there you go a bevy of information mr J. rodriguez Alright, we're running okay. out of time, and I have so much more to talk about. We're going to, have to do a part two here down the line, but I want to <laughs> talk a, a little bit Kathy. about... I'm
1: sorry about that.
2: I'm no, so I chatting. love sorry. it. Believe me, I could <laughs> talk all day. I am such a... I, I only talk to people... I've am a fan. i been doing this for four years now, and I really only reach out to people that I'm a fan of because I can do it from a That's fan point. point of view, and I think the listeners yeah. enjoy that as well. Yeah. And you've just done so many great things, so I want to get into a little bit of the cabaret stuff. Um, my I have a great friend in New York City who's obsessed with Xanadon. Saw you in it about a jillion times, I think. Um, mm-hmm. I was the kind of geeky guy yeah. that loved YouTube videos and wanted to pretend I was in New York. I think I saw you and Cheyenne Jackson <laughs> sing Elephant Love about a million and a half times yes! on YouTube. Oh, my God. Talk about um, the
1: best onstage kiss ever.
2: Oh, my goodness, my we friend. We kissed at the jealous end of the beach. I didn't know who
1: I was more jealous of. I how, was a how, do, kiss, now, how do you think America watchers, Ryan Murphy has really um, taken his, Cheyenne under his wing, which he does for a lot of Broadway performers, including myself. You know, Ryan Murphy, gay, uh, I auditioned, but Ryan Murphy cast me in Nip Tuck. Season five, episode five was my first big guest star role when people were still like, you're the reality star, reality star, reality reality star I went in for this role killed it and I got to do this great part and I appreciate that the nature of of how difficult it might have been for Ryan to um to cast me in that space I was an actor with credits but it didn't matter because when I moved to LA I was just a reality star so when I think about people like Cheyenne Jackson for him to be able to cross over yes he's gorgeous and has movie star good looks for many people I think they rec- recognize him from the American horror story or anything Ryan Murphy but for us Broadway people we just for being this incredible leading man on Broadway
0: who happens to be gay.
1: And Moulin Rouge! I was obsessed with. And so I asked him as part of a benefit to do um, this duet with me. And at the end of the Elephant Love medley, Ewan McGregor and Nicole Kidman in the movie Moulin Rouge! Kiss! So I was like, is it cool we do the kiss? He's like, yeah. I was like, I'll dip you and I'll kiss you. Let me tell you something, I, after, I didn't even know my own name, he dipped me, like <laughs> I don't think I've ever been dipped, and he's a big old man, and I was all, at that point, I was like, you know, not muscly, like I am now, it was like a teeny little twig, and I was like, ooh, I, I mean, oof, I was floating after that one.
2: I literally watched that a thousand times, and it's so funny, I mean, you will pull the jock up to hit the high notes, and you did play yeah. it up so well, and that kiss was, uh, I don't know who got the better deal of it but you guys uh that was something to behold my friend. Well let's Good talk
1: Zanadon cuz really funny. I'm going to blow your mind with some Zanadon's don't uh gossip if you're open to it.
2: Please cuz I didn't get to see it okay. my friend but I'd love to tell my I'm going to tell my friend everything about it make him listen to the show. <laughs> well let
1: me tell let me tell you a little bit about uh for those who don't know Zanadon was a great fun one act about a 90 minute pop rock musical um, uh, show that was essentially about a world in which everyone is gay. It takes place in high school, and being straight is the weird bad thing. So the students in this musical high school decide to do a play on whether or not heterosexuals should be allowed in the military. Very, very taboo. Now, mind you, in real life, you know, here in the States, we were just in the midst of don't ask, don't tell, you know, so it was a really, really hot button issue. And we flipped the switch and made the world, you know, gay. So my character plays, I play Zana, the title role, a matchmaking sort of... Um, Billy Idol looking, I had platinum blonde hair and glitter eyes, and um, I was all about love and making sure other people were in love, and I had the magic power to make people fall in love, and um, we decided to do a play, uh, whether or not heterosexuals should be allowed in the military, and the leading lady and leading guy in the play, who are, you know, both supposed to be attracted to the same sex, fall in love, and they're scared, so they come to me, and I use my magical matchmaking powers to make it okay for them to go to prom together. Well, in the process of casting this spell, I lose all my powers. I don't know that's happening. I know it's possible, but we go to prom, (laughs) and the colorful, neon, glittery world we live in is completely void of all that. I show up to prom. It's completely static black and white. And I'm the one who showed up glittery, and they have no knowledge or recollection of the world that existed prior. And sort of turn on me. I sing the big eleven o'clock number. Someday you might love me, and and then they kind of realize the error of their ways, and it's a happy ending. But what was so cool about this is we had so many celebrities that were like your friend who saw the show a billion times. Vanessa Williams brought her da- daughter a bunch. Liza Minnelli came to closing night, and at the end of the show, she's like, Oh, I just love this show. Jay, you're like, you love it. There's so show, you know, it was a whole fantastic oh, moment. But here's the, the gossip. I was shooting Queer Eye during the day. I got Queer Eye about a month into doing XANA. I was doing Queer Eye from 6 in the morning till 6-ish PM. I, w- I had a 7 o'clock out, and they would have to speed me to the theater. If I got to the theater, um, at least by eight ten, they would hold curtain, get in the makeup, get on stage. I started having panic attacks. My understudy went on for me mid-show for times because i was having panic attacks about doing both jobs and and just being really? tired and i was just i i was at a loss and my poor understudy who by the way they brought over the entire cast except for Nana who had to be my standby so god bless him i mean he's a great performer he was in hamilton um and i felt really really sad that he was uh having to be my standby but good lord i him to work. He went on a bunch. Um, but it was an incredible show. And it was really hilarious because they dyed my hair blonde because my, the guy that I had replaced was bald, shaved his head bald. So he stood out and they wanted a standout this character. So I was like, what about blonde? Open my mouth. You know, Puerto Ricans, we can't hold on to that blonde. It's too hard to, to keep it there, especially <laughs> my hair is curly. I had to literally flat iron it every day. One, one day before the show, the hair broke off in the flat iron.
0: Oh no. I oh my I know. Goodness.
1: And then I started then I started doing queer eye and I was like, oh, I have a TV show, so I either leave or I...
2: Oh my goodness.
1: I took brown so at home like leave in, put it in my hair, you know, like um sh- you know, took a shower in the morning, shampooed my hair because I don't know any better. So it's wet, I leave the house, it looks dark. I get into hair and makeup, it had lightened to the color of like 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 a latte. It was like a creamy, sandy beige because I had washed the color out. I didn't put a toner. I didn't know any better. And I did a full up. My first episode of Queer Eye is when we're making over one of our crew members and we hijack him. I have coffee colored hair.
2: Oh, that's hilarious. Oh, that is hilarious. Oh my goodness. I'm I'm going to tell my friend all about that. And he also got to see your Twisted Cabaret twice. That's all he got to see that one. But, um, you've just done some amazing shows, my friend. I love, well, um, hearing your voice and talk about what the cabaret, I mean, it's gotta be nice to have those upfront and personal type shows, right? I love talk it. My favorite,
1: my favorite medium is live. My favorite medium is live. I'm shooting on set. If it's a comedy, my, and it's a single camera and there's no audience, my goal is to ca- crack the crew up, but so they yell cut. They can't breathe and they're letting their laughter out. Then, um, I, my favorite job to date, um, uh, would have to be the sitcom I did with Reba and Lily Tomlin called Malibu Country that people still watch on the ABC.com app. And um, it's a hilarious comedy. And I kind of played um, Lily Tomlin's kind of uh, partner in crime. The storyline is essentially Reba plays a, a woman who had a, a country career, country singer career, gives it all up to become uh, the wife to the biggest country star in the world, has kids with him and the show opens at a scandal. Um, he puts her at this press conference and, you know, after she said she wouldn't want to talk about it, and he forces her to, so she leaves him, takes her mom and her kids, moves to Malibu and starts life over, and I play the kid at the record label that she's still signed to. And the big head up doesn't want to meet with her, so I feel bad. I take her under my wing, and then in the process, <laughs> Lily Tomlin and I become somewhat, you know, she's having a second adolescence. She's a senior citizen who moves to a state with medicinal marijuana, and all of a sudden, we get into all these hijinks. It was Jack and Karen, and when you get on set, and the audience starts applauding for your character before you I've never had anything like that before. And it was such a cool moment. So now my uh, way of doing that is, is being a storyteller in the cabaret space. And so that's why I've really um, started leaning into these online shows. And like you said earlier, making them a spectacular, uh, making them really special and fun. And I have to be honest, I'm taking a page from many drag queens who've gotten super creative. I was watching a streaming show the other day, of one, a drag queen. The camera set up stagnant facing a garage door, the garage door opens, the drag queen is on top of the car, which is moving without her. I mean, it was hilarious, but it was showing how you can get creative and still socially distant and provide content that's exceptional.
2: I love that. Well, you have the chops for it, and you have the creativity, my friend. I can't wait to see what you come up with, because your voice – I mean, I remember back – I've been obsessed for quite a while, Jay, I have to admit. I was loving you back in duet days when you were doing duets. Yes. That was yeah. so fun to me with all those great big names back at the time. It's like Yeah, for
0: those oh who don't know, it was just
2: dancing
1: it was dancing with the stars but singing. So if they put people like me that you didn't know could sing with mega stars like Patti LaBelle, Taylor Dane, Gladys Knight, all these people and we com- we were competing and we'd just get a new superstar every week and it was on Fox, it was the highest rated new show of the fall season, and then Grey's Anatomy started three weeks later and took all our ratings. But I thought that was going to be my reintroduction to society. Hey, I'm done with Queer Eye. Hey, I'm a performer. Look at me sing. Um, and it did for a moment, but really for a lot of people, it was like, you know, come and go. So I appreciate that you that you watched that. And some clips still exist on YouTube should people want to watch them.
2: It is a lot of fun. And we have likes to go here. So I want to get through. I mean, with not looking, Drew Drogie and Justin Martindale are both friends. But on the show, yes. your character is so fun. I'm not looking. Uh, East Siders. Kit is a good friend of the show. Love um, you. Do great work in anywhere you, you're at, my friend. I really enjoy watching you perform, sing. I mean, you do it all.
1: Well, thank you so much. You know, I, 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 you know, I, like I said earlier, when we first started chatting about my my background and my origins, you know, I've never had the luxury of relying on family or having support in that sense. Um, you know, some out of my home when I when I took the job of Angel in Rent because of the content of the show and never really managed to salvage a relationship with my mother that was a uh, mother-son relationship. So I really hustled because I have to. I don't have a backup plan or a safety net, and I really leaned into a family of choice um, and tried to be a voice for those who have been in similar positions because I believe that our family are those who show up for us.
2: I agree 100%. Well said. My left and straight family has been so supportive i mean it's it's they're they're small and they're mighty i mean i have like 10000 listeners but i can count the same 20 25 50 people to message you every day. And that's what gets you through the day, especially in these times. I, right? Those you close were, friends you let made. me tell you
1: something. Thank you for just saying that because that felt like a warm hug to me because that's what I got yesterday when I did my live streaming show. I saw the comments and I recognized the names. I recognized the people who have really been messaging me nonstop who have been so, and I, let me tell you, if you slide into any Jay Rodriguez, um, on my Facebook, my Twitter, my Instagram, my Snapchat, I answer all my messages personally. So for me, it's like, I like that connection. I'm not, I n- I've never wanted to be unaccessible.
2: Right. No, I think it's so important. And like you said, you get those, you get those one-on-one connections and yeah, it looks like you have a jillion fans and that's good, but it's really those one-on-one connections matter to you and yeah. it matters to me. And I understand exactly what you're saying on that. All right, we're yes. going to wrap up. We're going to have to have a part two because there's so many other things I have in my notes. I have another page that have the notes I didn't get to. But let everyone know that might be living under a rock where they can find you on your social media. And yes, uh, what so projects just, um, can we talk about? Equality again, sure. a couple things we be looking yes. for. Absolutely. So you can find me at
1: J-A-I Rodriguez. And Rodriguez is with a G and a Z because um, some people have an S. I don't want to judge. Uh, but it's J I Rodriguez. Uh, you can type it up. Um, and then the projects I have coming up, we have um, uh, Family Feud, OG Queer Eye versus New School Queer Eye that'll air this summer. We're actually doing some press for that right now. So hopefully it'll air during Pride Month, I'm hoping in June. And then um, after that, <coughs> sorry, that's not Corona, just just a little tickle in my throat. <laughs> um, and then uh, and then I have a, a four-part miniseries that I was uh, really happy to be a part of called Equal, and that is about unsung queer heroes of the 1960s. It's somewhat shot like reenactments, um, but they hired many queer LGBTQ plus um, performers to tell the story of those people who have somewhat been forgotten about. Uh, On a main level and bringing these stories to the masses, I was fortunate enough to play a gentleman named Jose Saria, who started, uh, or rather the widow Norton, as known by the imperial court. He started the imperial court system, which was a charitable fundraising organization in the 1960s, really helping the community. The community not only politically to be seen and represented by elected officials, but also as a charitable organization as the AIDS crisis started taking hold. It still exists. Um, there's hundreds of chapters coast to coast, and I was fortunate enough to speak to the successor, Nicole the Great. She's um Empress Nicole, who replaced Jose Saria, and um, I really got to talk with her uh, extensively about Jose and did all my research, and um, uh, he has a very different speaking voice, a very different singing voice than I do, and I was able to sing on the show, and so they shot two parts of the four-part miniseries. I don't know if they'll split them up and air two and then follow it up with another two, uh, but I'm really thrilled that we were able to squeeze that in uh, before the um, stay-at-home orders
2: were in place. Nice. I can't wait to see it. I have my little HBO Go, so I'm going to be on the lookout for it. Jay Rodriguez, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on The Left Straight show, my friend. Thank you so much for calling in. Thank you so much. And continue to do this stuff.
1: Because it really can, it keeps us together. And so when you talk about 20 to 50 to whatever listeners, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's like coming home when we get to listen to a familiar voice. So keep up the great work.
2: I appreciate it. Stay on the line, my friend. Guys, we're gonna be on the lookout. We're gonna have a very special five questions with Jay Rodriguez in some of our bonus segments. We're gonna go ahead and play out now to another song and I'll be back in just a little bit. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network.
0: feel safe in this place anymore in this place anymore you know you're making me wait i don't know what it is for is it just habit to break
2: guys, we are back. That was our good buddy, Matt Stern with Keeps Me Awake. Guys, big shout out to my guest today. Thank you so much to Bruce Hart and Jay Rodriguez for being on. Such great talent in their craft and just overall really great people. So it was great talking to both of them. We're going to have all new interviews the rest of this week, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, same time. 6 to 8 p.m. Pacific time, 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern time here. And a great show tomorrow. We're going to bring you two LGBT advocates and political advocates. First up is going to be James Duke Mason. Um, You may know Duke. Duke is actually the son of Belinda Carlisle from the Go-Go's, one of my very first concerts ever. But he is a LGBT advocate living in West Hollywood. He's actually ran for West Hollywood City Council. He has an amazing new little talk show he's doing called Duke's Downloads on Instagram that he's uploading on YouTube. Talked to some amazing people already, Leslie Jordan, Cleve Jones. So he'll be at first. And then the second interview is very excited about, Fred Carger is – our very first ever out LGBT presidential candidate. Yes, I know you thought that Pete Buttigieg was the first, but there was one before him. Fred Carger for the Republican Party ran as an openly gay candidate. That little bit. And some of his amazing LGBT advocacy, where he actually uh, boycotted successfully four major companies. He has worked on so many great projects. So look for them tomorrow. And then coming up, the rest of the week here, I have some great interviews from Equality, Ohio, from our good buddy, Paul Richmond, an artist who just finished his piece doing a uh, album cover for Troy Sivan. We have um, Jake Dean Taylor, an amazing actor, model, and fitness trainer. And, of course, Billy Clift, our buddy. And Carson Jones, who is an amazing LGBT advocate as well as a zookeeper by day. And his dad just happens to be a United States senator from the state of Alabama, the first Democratic senator in 25 years there. So some great shows to finish up the week. I hope you'll tune in. I hope you'll follow me on social media. Uh, for Twitter and Instagram, it's at Left of Straight. That's always spelled L-E-F-T-O-F-S-T-R and the number eight. On Facebook, it's the Left of Straight Show page or my public page. You can send a friend request over to Scott Fullerton. And I hope you'll follow on and subscribe at your favorite podcast distributor, either iHeartRadio or Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or right here on Blog Talk Radio. Hit that pink little subscribe button. You always get a notification. We're going live, and it's up streaming within the next 24 hours at all the major podcast distributors. That's all for me tonight. Again, big thanks to my guests, Bruce Hart and Jay Rodriguez. we we'll be back tomorrow. a whole new set of interviews for you. Have a great night, everybody. Keep safe here and healthy in Corona 2020. I'm out of here. Bye-bye. Thank you.